morning. Please be seated. Uh, we have one case for argument this morning, Ray Petition for Disciplinary Action against uh, C. Let's see, Ms. Bovitz, you've reserved 10 minutes for rebuttal. You may proceed when you're ready. May it please the court, counsel. My name is Jennifer Bovitz, here on behalf of the Director of the Office of Lawyers Professional Responsibility. A 120-day suspension, along with all of the requirements of Rule 18, is the appropriate level of discipline and is fully supported by the record for a series of misconduct, including intentional lies occurring over a period of days, along with failing to appear for a serious felony client's felony proceedings. Particularly when this misconduct occurs, when the respondent attorney is on public disciplinary probation and the misconduct is aggravated by several factors. Honesty and integrity are chief among the virtues the public has the right to expect of lawyers. Any breach of that misconduct is of the highest order and warrants severe discipline. This court has said- Counsel, um, you know, I think one of the questions is going to, one of the questions here is, does this case fit within what we said in Tahari Garrett? And I'm wondering if you could address um, whether it fits within that framework, uh, as I assume, um, Opposing counsel will probably argue that it doesn't. So let, let's go there right out of the box. Tyeri Garrett is particularly pertinent in this case for several reasons. Uh, one of the reasons being this court found that the referee's conclusions in Tyeri Garrett were not clearly erroneous, particularly as it relates to the findings related to Ms. Tyeri Garrett's Miss false statements, her false statements under 8.4C, both that she made by email and that she made to the court during May. And what's important and how it relates to this case is that Ms. Tyeri Garrett did disclose accurate information. She disclosed a part of correct information. She said that she had a medical issue that was occurring in Texas. What she did not disclose is that we, she was taking a trip to Europe. And this court found that it was not clearly erroneous and that the referee's findings were correct, that those were false misrepresentations, that she did not disclose the true reason for her absence, that being her pre-planned trip to Europe, and that being the basis for her not being present in court. That makes that case particularly comparable here. She received a 120-day suspension. How that case is also different is Ms. Tyari Garrett did not have prior discipline. She was not on public probation like Mr. C is. A comparable fact is the referee there did find selfish motive as the referee also found here. So that case is, is very comparable in those ways. Are there any um, cases uh, where we have had a, an attorney who um, did not show up for trial as scheduled, um, uh, made misrepresentations or 
uh, omitted information that was material to uh, the court where we have suspended uh, that attorney for less than 120 days? Do you see where I'm going with that question? I mean, are, are there any, let's put it this way, are there uh, suspensions less than 120 days for uh, misrepresentation slash failure to show up for trial? Your Honor, not not that I can think. I can think of cases that are more severe where attorneys have. Um, that was my question, Counsel. Are there cases that have been more that are more severe? Um, I believe, as far as discipline, I, I believe there have been. Uh, I'm thinking of perhaps uh, Mr. Voss or. Um, I want to make sure that I'm accurately stating the case, and I don't want to be certain. Uh, say that specifically, Lundine. Uh, Lundine would be more severe. I don't believe that there have been cases that have been less severe where an attorney has lied about their whereabouts and not failed to appear for court. Uh, of course, there are some cases cited here where there have been uh, one misstatement and where the referee found mitigation and there was not disciplinary history, but that is not what the court was asking. What is important to note is that respondent continues to focus this idea and continues even before this court to frame his argument around the idea that this case is about his eyeglasses. And as this court reviews the entire record, starting with the petition that charged this case, reviewing the transcript of the referee trial, and reviewing the, the findings of fact, conclusions of law, and recommendation from the referee and the briefing here, this case has never been about whether respondents' eyeglasses were broken. This case is about why respondent failed to appear for the afternoon proceedings of April 18th, 2017 for his felony client's criminal sexual conduct trial. By the way, on a motion on subpoenaed witnesses that he had subpoenaed, he failed to appear for that afternoon proceeding, delaying the litigation, causing those witnesses who had privately retained counsel to incur additional expenses, being questioned by the district court the subsequent day on two separate occasions, one in a private setting with all barriers removed, all barriers removed, to provide absolute ability for him to disclose any reason he was late and he did not. Then being provided a second opportunity on the record, again, failing to disclose why he was late. Then once the verdict was reached, again, being an, given an opportunity to correct those statements and provide the truthful and correct reason why he did not appear and he didn't. Counsel, what, um, if any, should we take into account the fact that I believe that he was called several times either by the court um, and by the prosecutor, I believe, but that he was kept saying, it's, I'll be another 30 minutes. And that happened either three or four times. Three times by the um, Wright County District Court, court Administration staff. Uh, those calls started, I believe, at approximately 1.41 p.m. and continued until about 2.15 p.m. Uh, respondent himself, and this is what the court should pay particular note to as well. Respondent himself initiated a call to ME, the prosecutor in the Wright County case. So respondent initiated that call and said, I had to pick up my glasses 
and I am coming back from St. Paul. I am coming back from St. Paul. That was a lie. That was a knowing false statement. Respondent didn't say I'm going to be late. Respondent didn't say I had to pick up my glasses and go somewhere else. Respondent said, I will be returning from St. Paul. And even when confronted with this at the referee trial, it took respondent a bit to come around to the fact that this was a falsity and not a correct statement. So respondent lied to the prosecutor who he asked to convey that information to the district court. Respondent during these communications with the district court when providing one explanation about the private inquiry, respondent during the referee trial said, well, I, I was answering truthfully, I didn't have a, a mental health or a substance use issue or any personal issue, it was just my eyesight. But as you review those transcripts, you can see respondent also took the time to talk about his GPS. At no point did he ever discuss the fact that he was appearing on behalf of a client 72 miles away. There was no possible way respondent was ever going to get from Wright County to Hastings, Minnesota and back to Wright County in the time that he was required to make that trip, ever. What's also notable is respondent testified that he called Dakota County on the morning of April 18th, 2017, to alert them that he would be late for AH's hearing. So he took the time to attempt to let Dakota County know that he would be late there. Not once did he ever alert the Wright County staff, the Wright County judge, any of the Wright County participants that he had another obligation that would have allowed them to make other arrangements to allow these civilian witnesses to remain at their jobs, to not have to travel. Recall that the district court judge in Wright County ordered that those civilians be present so that she could conduct their in-camera their in review based on Mr. C's late subpoena. His subpoena was done April, uh, Mr. MM testified that, that that subpoena came in around April 10th. That's one of the reasons he, he made the motion to quash. One was based on a not, he didn't believe he had a sufficient release, that the timing was late, and, and based on the concern about the trip to Europe. The referee's findings are clearly based on the facts the referee had before him. Respondent's misconduct is- Can you, uh, can you tell me about how the day played out? So the, there was a hearing in the morning that ended at 11.30 and got continued till 1.20? Correct. And when were the witnesses supposed to be there? Uh, MM was advised by the, dis so MM was present in the morning. MM had made the motion to quash. He was present in the morning. He was advised by the district court to get his witnesses there by 1.20 so that the Wright County District Court could, could conduct her in-camera review as it related. She wanted, respondent to so, do it. So when did we find out when the witnesses were gonna be there? When did the parties find out the witnesses were gonna be required to be there? Uh, in the, during the morning. So, okay, so going into it the day before, it wasn't clear that that was what was gonna happen. It, it occurred the morning of April 18th. 
Counsel, I thought you said that it was Mr. C who had subpoenaed these witnesses. It was. And so he didn't know until the morning of that they were actually gonna physically appear? He had subpoenaed them for trial. MM had made a motion to quash. So MM appeared on April 18th to deal with his motion to quash. The district court then advised Mr. C, Mr. C that she wanted Mr. C to make an offer of proof as to these witnesses. To assist him in doing that, the district court ordered MM to make his clients who were the subject of the subpoenas present for the afternoon of April 18th because they would be testifying later in the trial after the, after the jurors were selected. So MM was dealing purely with the motion to quash. And how, um, what was the time that the hearing was scheduled for and for how long? The original time of the hearing. Was it scheduled for an all day hearing or what was the schedule? So the district, Wright County District Court's hearing was scheduled to begin at 9 a.m. in the morning. She ended at 11.30. She advised the parties to be back at 1.20. She previously had advised the parties that she was only available on April 18th until 2.25 p.m. So she had made them previously aware of that at the scheduling conference. And she also reminded them of that fact on April 18th, 2017 because she had another commitment that she had been aware of. Respondent's conduct when comparing it to other cases is also similar to In Ray Winter. Although arguably respondent's conduct is more egregious than Mr. Winter's conduct is, Mr. Winter's conduct involved one statement, one false statement in a Lozado motion. It's also notable to note that this court adopted the referee's findings in Ray Winter. Mr. Winter's conduct was mitigated and the aggravation factors were somewhat different. Also in the Winter case, there was no harm. The harm was significantly different than the harm found by the referee here. If there are no further questions, I'll, re I'll address the court in my rebuttal. Thank you, counsel. Mr. C. You may please the court, counsel. My name is Bobby Onyeme C. And I'm representing myself today because I cannot afford uh, an attorney to represent me. Uh, first, I'll start by saying that some of my conduct on April 18 were wrong. I failed to communicate with the Wright County Court that I was in Dakota County. There was no time that I said I was not wrong. I believe that the referee's findings in terms of my traveling to St. Paul to get a, a, a spare eyeglasses was erroneous because I did travel to St. Paul to get my glasses. My eyeglasses did break that morning. But counsel, you knew um, the morning of your appearance before court that you had an appearance scheduled in Dakota County in Hastings. Yes, I did, Your Honor. And you did not tell that court that purposefully? No, I did not because I thought I had sufficient time. The court told us on March 31st you know, that would be breaking at about 11.30, 11.20, I believe. So I knew uh, that I would be leaving for, for Dakota County. 
and I thought I had sufficient time. But you also, you've been in court a lot in district court and you know that it doesn't always run on the time schedule that one thinks it's gonna run. And so there was no guarantee that the court was gonna end at 11.30. And even knowing that it was gonna end at 11.30 and then commence again at 1.30, which would be normal, actually noon till 1.30, um, should have been clear to you that you didn't have enough time to get back. You are not me being retrospect, yes. You know, I did not, at the time, I thought I had sufficient time to go there and back. I did not, I, uh, looking back now, yes, Your Honor, I agree, you know. I should have told the court about it. You know, I did not, and that, that's on me. I'm not disputing that at all. Uh, what I am saying, Your Honor, is that when I traveled to St. Paul to pick up my eyeglasses, I believed that if I hadn't gone to St. Paul first before going to Dakota County, I would have had sufficient time to actually be there, you know, and get back to, 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 uh, uh, to uh, Wright County in Buffalo. You know, that was what I thought. But my detour to St. Paul delayed me further, you know, because I had to pick up my eyeglasses then and, you know, then from there go to uh, Dakota County. I believe the people that testified, there were three witnesses that testified on that date, uh, including two witnesses that were called by the director, you know, that stated that yes, they saw my broken eyeglasses. It wasn't the same one I was wearing in the morning. It was a different one I, I picked up. Honestly, even assuming that there was nothing about the eyeglasses, it's 72 miles away. And if you leave at 1130, I mean, you're not actually leaving at 1130, you're leaving the courtroom at 1130, gotta get to your car, 72 miles to Dakota County and Hastings, do the bail argument, and then drive 72 miles back within an hour and 20 minutes. How is that possible mathematically? It's, it's not, Your Honor. You know, I understand that now. You know, at the time, I did not know it was that far from where I was. You know, in Buffalo to Hastings, I never knew it was that far. I thought it's less than an hour drive, and I could make it and back. Can you tell me about the um, the case in Dakota County? I mean, don't get into the details, but how did that how did that come up? What's your relationship? Yeah, right, they were, they were immigrant family members. Uh, there were like seven of them in the family. I represented them previously in immigration proceedings in the past, four of them, four family members. So on this particular occasion, they called me on the 17th of April, you know, that like, you know, the father, you know, the, the head of the household there was arrested for failing to show up in court. And the wife called me and asked me if I can come the next morning, they're having a bail argument that he didn't, he did not receive any notice from the court. So that's the reason I went there the next morning, you know, uh, to represent them. I did not charge him any money. It wasn't selfish motive. I, I didn't get paid for appearing. I've known this family for about 11 years. I did a lot of immigration work, you know, for the family. And that was the reason they called me, you know, when the husband was arrested. And on the, um hearing on the 18th in Wright County. So that was a motion to quash a subpoena you had issued. Did you have any sense of how long that hearing was gonna take uh, prior to going in on the morning of the 18th? I thought it was gonna be just the morning calendar, Your Honor. I thought this would be something that would be done in the morning because what the attorney was saying was that uh, the, uh, the witness did not sign a proper medical release form for them to release you know, the medical documents I was requesting, you know, so because of that, he made a motion to quash the subpoena, you know, based on that, that morning. 
Council, in your uh, brief, you mentioned that um, on the way back to Wright County on that day, that you were on 494, and then you ended up on Highway 12. Is that right? That's correct, Your Honor. And then you um, you found your way back to 90, you found your way onto Interstate 94? No, 169, Your Honor. I went from 494. I wasn't familiar with that area. So I went from 494 to Highway 12. And this, I was going towards, I think it's called Wazata or something, and it was, I feel like I'm going out of the way. So I, I turned back because I knew that 169 leads all the way down to 94, which is the route I was familiar with. And then you, but you didn't get back on uh, 494, you continued all east to Highway 169? No, I continued north on 169 to 94. Yeah, but to get to 169, you have to go east. If you've been going west on Highway 12 off of uh, 494, then you've got to make your way back east because 169 is east of 494. Yes, that's what I did. So you made your way back east and then you went north on 169? That is correct. And then what happened? Now, from there, I went straight to 94, from 169 north all the way to 94, and then I went west of 94, which is the route I've taken previously to Buffalo. Okay. Now, on the day of the, um, and, and you had that problem because of your GPS system? Yes. It was a, I think it was a called map quest that I was using, and it was directing me there, like a, you know, a shorter route to take. So I took that, you know, and then, you know, it's, it, it wasn't directing me well enough, and I figured I was going the wrong way. Because I was and then going you got on 94 and you went past Maple Grove. Correct. And then, then how did you get to the Wright County Courthouse? I believe I went 94, uh, 169 to 94, and then from 94, I exited at uh, the 241 or something, I believe it's called. I think it's 241. And that got you to the courthouse? Yes, Your Honor. All right, on the day of the hearing, or on the day of you were explaining to the court why you were late, you said that um, you put in the GPS and it says take 241, which I never took before, but the GPS kept misdirecting me. That suggests to me, as I read that, that's suggesting that you were saying you were misdirected onto 241. Is that right? Um, no, the, the misdirection came from 494 when I was taking, when I was coming back from Dakota County, I took 494 until Highway 12, then I had to come back again and take 169. Well, let me read you what you said to the court. Usually I take 94 out. What do they call it? 94 West all the way. I put it in the GPS and it says take 241, okay. which I never took before, but the GPS kept on misdirecting me, you know. So that delayed, you know, my appearance here that day. That's all I can tell the court. So it sounds like, as you're, as you're telling us the story today, you were properly on 241. It, the, the GPS didn't misdirect you to 241. Doesn't 241 also connect to Highway 12 on the south end? I mean, you can get to Buffalo two ways from 241? I did not know that, Your Honor. I'm not familiar with that area at all. So I've not been there before. Council, if I may, um, as concerning as it is in terms of just your 
um, what I would say maybe the lack of judgment about the time that it would take you to get back and forth. Um, what's more concerning to me is when you were on your way back to Wright County and you were talking with the prosecutor, you were telling uh, the prosecutor that you were on your way back from St. Paul, which you weren't. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you were on your way back from Dakota County. And likewise, when talking with the judge about it uh, afterwards, when she gave you the opportunity to explain the delay, it, it, it isn't, take the glasses out of it. We all understand you went back to St. Paul to get, to get some glasses. But it was the, the misrepresentations or the, what clearly seemed to be misrepresentations to the court about why you were late and the effect that that had on the proceedings. Why did you do that? Why did you not tell the judge? I mean, I'm looking at the transcript and you say you, you, you didn't intentionally leave that part out, but it seems that you did because the judge talked, asked you about it repeatedly. Why did you leave that part out? I was wrong. I don't have a good reason why I did. I was completely wrong. It was my fault. I don't know what happened. You know, I know the judge was a bit upset with me. I can see visibly upset with me, and I saw that. You know, and I did not say that. I did not tell her. I was wrong. I just I have no excuse, Your Honor. You know, I have no excuse. You know, I've, I was licensed in 1998. Uh, I did have, uh, in 2013, I did have uh, I pled guilty you know, to filing false tax return, you know, which I pled guilty to, and I was suspended for that, you know. But since my practice, you know, I've not had any issues at all. I, I don't well, counsel, I guess I would just press you a little bit because I, I think it's just human nature. Um, we typically know why we do certain things. And you, when you had several opportunities to explain to the judge what you, what you're explaining to us now, that you thought you had time and, and you know, all of that, um, why did you not explain? You had a reason for that. The judge, looks, the judge looked upset to me. I'm sure she was. She was mad at me. So I just didn't want to say anything. You know, I thought it would be. It would be worse for me to say anything. You know? I appreciate that answer. Thank you. She was mm -hmm. mad at me. Counsel, can I ask a point of clarification? Did you say that um, that it was the family member who called you on the morning of April 18th as you were heading to? No, on the 17th, Your Honor. The 17th? The evening of the 17th. The evening of the 17th? Correct. Um, then can you tell me why? there was a certificate of representation filed in Dakota County. Oh, I, okay, I guess you're right, on 1029 p.m. So you filed it electronically after you talked to them? Yes, it was okay. late evening. It was around 8 p.m. or something that she came to me and she was crying and telling me that the husband was uh, arrested and is in jail for not showing up and they didn't get any letter. Later on, we found out that the letter actually was, notice was mailed to a wrong address. It wasn't the address that was mailed to. So it was returned How to How come the you didn't refer this to someone else, um, knowing that you had the hearing already in Wright County? You know, in retrospect, I should have done that. I just thought I had sufficient time. You know, I thought I had like two hours and 15 minutes, you know, to be there. I thought I could go and uh, I've been to bail hearings before. It doesn't take that much time. I thought I can just go there, you know. And since they told me, you know, that they didn't get a notice, you know, I assumed I would be able to just show up there 
get him out of jail, you know, and then you know, return to the right county. And did your client for the bail hearing speak English? No, he didn't. And you knew that ahead of time? I'm sorry? And you knew that ahead of time? Yes, I did. And you know that that requires an interpreter? Yes, I did. And you know that that generally delays district court proceedings? Uh, no, you know, usually the interpreters are given like, um, you know, first preference usually. You know. Have you ever experienced delay when there's an interpreter involved? In some cases, yes, I have, Your Honor. This is not a selfish motive, Your Honor. I did not gain anything by, by being there. I wasn't paid. I did not ask them for any money. I was just trying to be helpful, you know. I did not benefit financially, you know, by, by going there and representing them. You know, also, I knew what I did was wrong. I was, I'm remorseful about it. I should have told the judge that, you know. I guess I just, you know, I saw the anger in her face. I, you know, I panicked, you know, which is wrong of me. I should have just told her, you know, the truth. I mean, she sanctioned me, you know, for not appearing, have me pay back the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the attorney for the two witnesses, as, as well as the attorney's fees for him for showing up, and I complied with the other. You know, I did not argue about it because I knew it was my fault. I was wrong. Can you tell me a little bit about your practice? Are you a solo yes, sir. practitioner? Yes. Okay. Just by myself. You know, I, I made... I must admit that I made misrepresentation to the court in Wright County. I was not truthful, and that's on me. You know, I've never had this before. You know, since 1998, I've never had anything to do with my practice at all. There was no disciplinary actions against me. There is no, you know, you know. I mean, nothing of this nature at all. Um, I've always conducted myself properly. You know, in this particular instance, I was wrong. You know, I made a big mistake you know i should have been honest and truthful and forthcoming with the judge which i did not do you know but i want, this, I want your honors to know that it wasn't a selfish motive i did not do it because i wanted to get money or get paid or anything i was just trying to help and i thought i had sufficient time to you know to go to you know dakota county and be back on time you know i should have checked the distance which i did not do if I've checked the distance, I would have known that it would take me much more time than I have to go there and back. Can you tell me about the hearing on the morning of the 18th? So you came in on a motion to quash at 9 o'clock. Yes, Your Honor. And then at that point, the judge was making a decision and said, well, to make my decision, I need to, to hear from these witnesses. Correct, Your Honor. And then, so then the lawyer, M.M.'s lawyer, is that right, M.M.? Uh, so, M.M. is the lawyer. M.M. is a lawyer. So M.M. then had to call and get those witnesses to, and you didn't know that was gonna happen. No, I did not know that. Until that happened. Correct. Okay. Neither did the other attorneys, correct? I'm sorry? And neither did the other attorneys know that that was gonna happen. That is correct, Your Honor. But they were there on time. They were. Council, what is the appropriate discipline that you feel we should impose? Your Honor, based on other cases I've, I've looked into, I think 
60 or 90 days is appropriate. I know I did something wrong and I should be uh, penalized for that. But I do not believe that 120 days is, is appropriate in this matter. I think 90 days is appropriate. You know, I was wrong. I admit that and I'm really sorry about that. It has never ever happened before. You know, this is the first time it's happening and I know it will never ever happen again. You know, it was just you know bad judgment on my part. Council, what about the fact that you were on probation when this happened? Yes, I was on probation at the time uh, that this happened. You know, my probation, as I said earlier, you know, it wasn't uh, a situation that had to do with my practice. You know, I was on probation, you know, for filing false tax returns, which I know is significant. I'm not trying to diminish that. You know, but what I'm saying is that it has, you know, there's not been complaint against me, you know, for my practice of law or what I've done, you know, or clients, you know, filing complaints or anybody filing complaints against me. That's never happened, uh, you know, previously. But I understand you know, that I was on probation, you know, for the tax return thing. I am asking for leniency here. I'm not trying to say that I wasn't wrong. I was wrong. I was just asking for uh, for some leniency. I, I made a huge mistake, you know, which I'm paying for, and I acknowledge that. But I know it will never happen again because it's it's out of character for me to you know, to do this, you know. And I panicked. I made the wrong decision, and I, I wasn't truthful to the court, to the judge in, in Wright County. Thank you. Thank you, Council. Uh, Ms. Bowitz, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Thank you. This has happened before. Mr. C has a fundamental disregard for the truth. In line with this court's precedent, a 100-day suspension is appropriate. Can I ask you about the aggravating factors? Yes. So one of them that was identified was intentional conduct. But isn't that part of, I mean, you rely a lot on the Tayari Garrett case. Mm -hmm. But in footnote four, don't we say that for this kind of case, intentional conduct can't be an um, aggravating factor because it's already built into the, into the violation? The director acknowledged that in her brief. Okay. So in, just... intentional conduct may not it may be appropriate for this court not to consider that an aggravating factor. However, there's still- And what about the selfish motive? The selfish motive, uh, Mr. C inappropriately uh, is casting that in a financial sense. And in fact, uh, if you review the underlying record in terms of the referee record, uh, Mr. C did not establish uh, a pro bono basis um, in the underlying record. That's not a part of the underlying record and should not be considered by this court. Absent that, however, selfish motive can be established by the avo avoidance of detection. Tyeri Glick Garrett very clearly states that, and Mr. C acknowledged that today, and it's, it's clear from the proceedings that his, his purpose in not telling the district court was to avoid detection, and that squarely falls within selfish motive. Um, and, and in fact, that's what the referee concluded in this case. Mr. C has a general disregard for honesty. He was federally convicted for filing false tax returns. And as you see here today, he continues to insist that he has never done anything like this before, that this doesn't relate to his practice. 
the fact that this misconduct occurred while he was on disciplinary probation is significant, highly significant. The harm that occurred is substantial. There is harm to the legal profession. The district court in this case very eloquently testified about what happens when lawyers lie to the court, particularly in criminal cases when our justice participants believe that the system is already rigged and then a lawyer comes in and lies and it just enhances that belief that they're facing a system that is already rigged. On top of that harm to the legal system, the client was harmed, witnesses were harmed, other lawyers were harmed. There was harm on all facets of this case. Harm totally different even than in the other cases where 120 days was imposed. It is highly significant. Counsel, counsel if I may, um, what weight should we get? Well, let me back up. What I do see here today uh, from Mr. C that I did not see in reading the transcript was uh, is remorse and and a, uh, a a sincerity it seems to me that this won't happen again and given that our our principal um, goal in attorney discipline is to protect the public and clearly the public was harmed here clients as you just detailed uh, clients as well as the judicial system um, but what should we make of that, or at least how I have perceived um, uh, his, uh, his presentation here and testimony here today? Um, because I didn't see that in the transcript. It, it was not present, and what that may demonstrate is that Mr. C may be well served once this court orders a reinstatement hearing that he'll be able to demonstrate that, that moral change when he's required to do so for a reinstatement hearing. It's too little too late right now. Uh, this court needs to review the findings. Well, counsel, I ask that because, as I'm sure you well know, we, we see many attorneys who come in, represent themselves in these proceedings, and they remain defiant. They, standing in front of us, they still don't acknowledge. So that, that it, it's not, I think it is, it bears, it has some significance that Mr. C at least acknowledged today um, the wrongfulness of his his actions, because not all attorneys do that. He acknowledged some wrongfulness, but he can he continues to insist that it's it's not connected to his practice. That maybe he shouldn't have done this. That he has never done it before. Uh, at, what this court needs to do is to determine whether, in fact, the referee's findings were clearly erroneous. Uh, you can't do that in the context of what Mr. C is doing today based on what the referee saw, and this court needs to give great deference to the referee's determination on credibility and reviewing that transcript, that wasn't present at the, ref at the referee's level. And the referee's Can findings- give deference on that in determining, determining what the sanction should be? Or you have ultimately, you have ultimate determination as it relates. Which I think is what Justice Hudson's question is going to. In terms of the ultimate discipline, however, that has to be based on what the findings were. And so when looking at the findings, are they, are they clearly er erroneous or not? And then when determining discipline and looking at this body of case law we have, to, in order to find that the level of discipline would be different, you would need to find that there, are there not aggravating factors? Is the harm not there? And the director suggests that that's not correct, that in fact those findings the referee made are, are accurate. The respondent suggests that at no time did I say I was not wrong? He also just said that. 
um, when he was up here addressing this court and replete in the transcript are suggestions where respondents said, it was not my intent to deceive. That's on page 113. I did not intentionally lie, page 113 to 114. Again, on page 121, he apologized like he did here, but he also said, I maintain that I had no intent to deceive, and he characterizes it as a stupid mistake. Uh, that's an important consideration for this court because he apologizes for being late, he apologizes for the court being upset with him, but his internal sense of this misconduct is, I did not intentionally deceive the court. And Mr. C needs to wrap his mind around the fact that he did intentionally deceive the court. And the first time we have ever heard that is when pressed by the court today about why did you not tell the court where you were going uh, because I saw the, why, why you weren't here is because I saw the court was mad at me. Counsel, I want to go back to a question that um, Justice Thiessen asked you, and that is um, for purposes of evaluating what discipline to be imposed here, what aggravating factors supported by our case law would you point to in this record? The respondent's disciplinary history, the fact that he was on public probation at the time uh, this misconduct occurred, the lack, the lack of remorse, the selfish motive, all, all of those findings that were found by the, by the referee. And the referee also found substantial experience in the practice of law. Yes, that's also that's also an appropriate aggravating factor, which the respondent acknowledged at the time, his um, substantial experience in the practice of criminal law. And again, those are also highly differentiated from the other cases that imposed 120 days. So this court is well, well within its precedent to impose a 120-day suspension uh, in a case that uh, markably is more severe both in the nature of the conduct and of the aggravating factors. The referee was more than appropriate in making his recommendation. Based upon all of those factors, the director requests that this court impose a 100-day suspension along with all of the requirements of Rule 18, requiring that the respondent demonstrate his moral change. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help you provided to the court in this matter. This case is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.